The scriptures reflect the wisdom of God. As you and I approach scriptures, we recognize that there's large portions of the scriptures that are written in law form. You do this, you don't do that. There are other portions of scripture that are written, in fact, the majority of it is written in narrative form. It describes the lives of real people and how those real people encountered difficulties in life, successes, and failures. Many of us learn from reading those passages that reflect the lives of real people. Because as I go through life, I want to know what it means to walk by faith. I want to know what it takes to please God. Micah 6 verse 8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And thus, this morning, we're going to talk about a man of God, Abraham, whom the Bible describes as the friend of God. Abraham was such an amazing character. He had so many admirable qualities that if we were to put him up before people, we would say, this is a man of faith. In fact, the scriptures calls him such in Hebrews chapter 11. He was the recipient of great promises, In Genesis chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, he talks about how Abraham would be raised up as a man that God would bless and a man whose life would bless others as well, particularly in the giving of his descendant, his seed, Jesus Christ, Galatians chapter 3. But he also was a man who responded in great faith. Whenever God put a challenge in front of him, he responded by doing what God told him to do. And thus he enjoyed a special relationship with God. He's called the friend of God. Now over the next four weeks that we will be able to study together, we're going to consider four lessons about Abraham. I tried to plan these out so that they reflect our seeing a full picture of his life. And this morning we're going to talk about him being God's friend. Two weeks from today we'll talk about his being a great father. After that we're going to talk about how he generated fraternity. And if you don't know what fraternity means, it means brotherhood. In Genesis chapter 13 he says to his nephew Lot, We are brethren. Important idea. And then finally to end with a man who was guided by faith. His decisions that he made was based upon his faith and his trust in God. This morning, here's what we're going to study over the next just few minutes. If you will, I want you to have your Bibles out. Let's go through this real quickly as we observe the designation of friendship. The fact that Abraham deserved that title, that description And then finally, how you and I can develop a friendship with God. Three times in Scripture, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 7, Isaiah 41, verse 8, James 2, verse 23, all say that Abraham is God's friend. 
that in and of itself, if I were to say nothing else, would, would draw your mind into some various contemplation. What does it mean to be a friend of God? And that's what we want to ask and we want to answer. In fact, we want a, a Bible answer as to what a real friend would be. In fact, you say, well, let's look at those passages. Well, there's 115 times in Scripture that refers to a friend. And so what I want to do, I want to sort of break it down, if you will, for just a little bit and point out to you that friendship involves some close communication. That is, you speak to friends differently than you speak to others. Let me give you a few illustrations. You remember in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. You know, sometimes if you want to communicate with someone, you send them a message. Maybe send it by the hand of someone else. However, if someone is your friend, you don't let someone else tell them. You go tell them yourself. It is a direct kind of communication. That's what friends do. In John 15, in verse 15, when Jesus assembles with his apostles in that upper room prior to his going to the Garden of Gethsemane, he's been explaining to them all the things that are about to take place, and he says to them, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for I have all the things I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You see, friends not only communicate directly, but friends reveal more to friends than they do to others. Several times you may tell someone something that is not necessarily a secret, but you are more convinced of how important it is to communicate with them directly. Well, in Genesis 18, verse 17, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? As God considers what would take place with the cities of the plain, with Sodom and Gomorrah and Zoar and those cities that were going to be destroyed, am I going to hide that from Abraham? No, I'm not going to hide that. Because Abraham is my friend. For just a few minutes, I'd like to consider the book of Job. You know, Job talks a lot about friends. In fact, we're introduced to his three friends in Job chapter 2, verse 11. Now, when Job's three friends heard all the adversity that had come upon him, each one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite, for they had made an appointment to come together to mourn with him and to comfort him. That's what friends do. Friends, when they realize that one of their other friends is sick, is sorrowing, what do you do? You say, if they're at the funeral home, I'm going to go to the visitation. If your friend is truly sick, you You call them on the phone. Of course, back then there was no phone, so what do you do? You go see them. They made an appointment to go see Job and to talk with him. But folks, sometimes friends aren't very friendly. Friends don't do what you want friends to do. In fact, 
Job in chapter 6, verse 14 says, To him who's afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend. You guys have come here to mourn with me and to comfort me. Well, then comfort me instead of criticizing me. Verse 27, yes, you overwhelm the fatherless and you undermine your friend. If I'm really sick in the hospital, don't come and say to me, well, I heard a lot of people are dying from that. (laughs) I want some encouragement. I heard somebody who lived through this. You see, Job looked at his friends and he said, you're not helping at all. Now, by the time you get to chapter 14 or 12 through 16, then it changes. And Job says, no longer are you not helping. He said, you're hurting me. Chapter 12, verse 4, I am one who is mocked by his friends. I'm mocked. Look at verse 20 of chapter 16. My friends scorn me. My eyes pour out tears to God. Job had gotten to so discouraged and so despondent and everybody was picking at him to the point where he says, I'm just going to cry to God about the matter. But when you get to chapter 19, you really feel for Job's predicament. My breath is offensive to my wife and I'm repulsive to the children of my own body. Even young children despise me I arise and they speak against me. All my close friends abhor me. And those whom I love have turned against me. My bones cling to my skin and to my flesh. And I've escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me. Have pity on me, O you my friends. For the hand of God has struck me. And folks, I think you get the idea that friendship is where you look at your friend and you pity them when they're going through difficult times. You give them support. You give them encouragement. I think most of us would look and say, Bildaz, Eliphaz, and Zophar should have gone home. They weren't being real friends to Job. But I want to tell you who was a real friend, and Job was a friend to them. Because when you get to chapter 42, verse 7, God directly points out to Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar, my wrath is aroused against you you and your two friends, for you have not spoken to me what is right, as my servant Job has. God is rebuking them for their lack of friendship. Look at verse 10. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Oh, I want to tell you what. That's the way you know who your real friends are, is a person who when you treat them less than the way they ought to be treated will take your name before the Father and pray for you. That's Job. Then I'd like for a minute, too, to look at what Solomon says. You know, you look at Job, and Solomon has some wise insight. He said in Proverbs 17, verse 17, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 18, 24, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. 
But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Somebody you can always depend on. Proverbs 27 and verse 6 and 17. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Verse 17, so iron sharpens iron, and so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. A real friend is a guy who can look at you and say, your tie is crooked, you need to put it, make it straight before you go in the pulpit. He's a guy who can look at you and say, your hair is messed up, and you need to, to fix it before you go into the building. And you say, well, a friend tells you the truth. He's the one who, when you are doing something wrong or about to do something wrong, will look at you and say, you need to make a change in your life because they really care what happens to you. Now let me sort of summarize this real quickly. A friend is somebody you love. In fact, the word in the New Testament that is translated friend is from the word philos. Now, you know about Philadelphia, those words that begin with that P-H-I-L-A. That would mean love. A person you love. Now, let me illustrate it to you. Deuteronomy 13, verse 6. Your friend who is as your own soul. Somebody you love even like you love yourself. You, you are fond of them. Or in John chapter 11, you remember how Lazarus became sick and died. Verse 3, the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When you get down to verse 11, Jesus said to them, he said, our friend Lazarus sleeps. Our friend Lazarus sleeps. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were his close friends. Well, now let's step back just a minute. The Bible says that Abraham was called the friend of God. Did Abraham deserve that designation, that description? Well, let's look and see what we find in James chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. Brother Bruce read that for us just a few moments ago. And it says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac on the altar? Hmm. What do you mean justified and how he was called the friend of God there in verse 23? Well, let's explore that for just a minute. Do you remember back in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6? And I'm just going to summarize this for you, if you will. Abraham has gotten a promise to God that through his seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And yet here is Abraham and he has no child. I've got a servant by the name of Eliezer of Damascus. Is he going to be my heir? And God said, no. One from your own body, in verse 4, will be your heir. He believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. When God said, you're going to have a child, Abraham believed him. 
Now fast forward for just a minute to chapter 22. And I'm not going to read all of verses 1 through 12 again either, but I do want to draw your attention to the fact that now Abraham has Isaac. Isaac is a lad, a young man. And God instructs him to go, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, I will tell you. Your son, your only son, you must offer him. You know what happened when you get down to verse 10? Abraham stretched out his son, uh, his hand, took the knife to slay his son, and it was only because the angel of the Lord cried out to him and stayed his hand that he didn't take the life of Isaac. Now I want to sort of bring this together here. Abraham was not a fair-weather friend. Abraham believed God when he made the promise to him in chapter 15 that one of your own body, it's easy to be a friend of God when the blessings flow. But what about when it's tough to do what God says to do? Let me tell you, Abraham was willing to follow God when it was easy and when it was difficult. You know, going back to Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times. You know, I think about husbands and wives and the promises they make, and I hope that everybody at least listens to the words of the ceremony I know that especially when you're young and you're healthy and everything appears to be okay, everybody just grins when you say, in sickness and in health. Folks, those are real words. Some of you older ones are smiling because you know exactly what that means. For richer, for poorer. Sooner or later you'll find out what that poorer means. You have to understand that being a friend of God is being a friend at all times. Chapter 19, verse 4 says, Wealth makes many friends, but the poor is separated from his friend. As long as people got blessings and giving good things, oh, will everybody be their friend? Verse 6 and 7, Many entreat the favor of nobility, and every man is a friend to one who gives gifts. All the brothers of the poor hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He may pursue them with words, yet they abandon him. Folks, there are fair-weather friends, which leads me into the third part of our lesson, and that is the development of a relationship with God. Abraham provides for us an example of how to develop a relationship with God. In other words, how to be God's friend. It is based not on claims, but upon action. You can't look at God and say, God's my friend, and never show up to praise Him. 
You can't say God is my friend and never mention Him to anybody else. You see, real friends do more than just talk. They do. You know, I hate to say this, but a lot of times we say to someone who's going through a difficult time, well, if you need me, call me. Anybody ever heard that? Do you know what a real friend does? They come in, they open the door, they go in and they take care of things that need to be taken care of. In James chapter 2, verse 14, What does it profit, my brethren, if one says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? He says he has faith. But how do you know he has faith? Verse 17, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 24, You see then a man is justified by works and not by faith only. What is the difference between Abraham and other people? Other people say, I believe God. I follow God. I am one of God's servants. Abraham proved it by what he did. I like the way the Lord on the Sermon on the Mount addresses the subject. He says in Matthew 7 verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonderful works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work lawlessness. Do you see the big picture in all of this? There are people who will say and not do. And you get to Matthew 25. I thought it was a usable illustration to think about the ver- parable of the virgins. You remember you have five wives and five foolish virgins. They're all friends. And when the friends come to greet the bridegroom, the bridegroom is delaying his coming. It's getting a little later, a little later. The five foolish virgins realize they're out of oil. They've got to go buy some. They can't borrow. There wouldn't be enough. When they come back, the bridegroom has arrived. The door has been closed. And here's what you find. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I did not know you. I don't know you. Who are you? You didn't prepare. You didn't, you weren't real friends. The Lord seeks a relationship with those who want a relationship with him. Listen to Luke chapter 7, verse 34. They said, the friend of tax collectors and sinners. You know why? It's because the Lord extended a hand to people who were sinners. 
It didn't matter if it was Matthew who was a tax collector who would become an apostle. He'd say to him, follow me. It doesn't matter if he's a little short man who lives in Jericho who climbs a tree who's also a tax collector and Jesus goes to his house. There were those who had previously been prostitutes. The Lord stuck out his hand to be a friend to everyone. John 14, verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Chapter 15, verses 14 and 15, or 13 and 14, he says, Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. You see, Jesus is extending and saying, I want to be your friend. I'm willing to lay down my life for you. What are you willing to do for me? Sadly, here's what happens. You know this, especially you young people. You know in high school how you will have friends and you think they're your friends. And then it comes a day where there's another group of people there and you're over here, and they look at you, and they look at the other people, and they turn, they walk away from you, and they decide they want to be friends with these folks over here. Here's people in the world. They look at God, and they look at what God offers, and they look at God's restrictions, and what it takes to be His friend, and they look at the world and what it offers, and says, I think I'm going to choose the world. He says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I don't want to be there. Abraham was a great man. He was friends with God. When you study Luke chapter 16, verse 22, the rich man died, he was buried, he lifted up his eyes in torments. The beggar Lazarus died, and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Let me tell you something, folks. Abraham is the picture of a man who made friends with God, remained friends with God, died a friend of God, and now where Abraham is is where I want to be. And that's where you ought to want to be. You can say, well, how how can I get there? Here's where we're going to end. We're going to look at Galatians 3, 26 through 29. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. Now here's the clincher, verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If you will, get your songbook. We're going to sing this invitation song. If you, because of your faith, desire to be baptized and become a part of the seed of Abraham, saved from your sins, we're going to encourage you to do that. 
if you're a child of God who needs to come back home as the Israelites frequently did, we invite you to do that as together we stand and sing.